Ephesians. Um, so if you, if you want to turn there, Ephesians 2 from verse 11, I'll read now. We had some more nice sentimental things planned for the fathers, but um, I think we'll get to that a little bit later. Lord, I thank you for what you are busy doing. I thank you for what you have started in this, in this church. Lord, I look around at the, the fathers and the young men and the courageous women, and I feel like you are charging us this morning, that you are challenging us, that there is a, a fight amongst the world, there is a political divide, there is tension, there is everybody trying to fight for their rights, but actually... Today, you want to come and implant something of the politics of heaven in our hearts. That you, you want us to understand how you work, how you are working behind the scenes, how you are always in control. That we don't have to fight against each other, we don't have to fight for our rights, but you are the God that fights for us. And actually, when we realize our identity in you, we understand what actions need to flow because you have a far greater God-given purpose for us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would open up your word to us, that you would speak to us the message of Christ into our hearts, into our lives, that you would transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're back on to Ephesians. You, we've seen, we're trying to build a unified church where Paul is preaching to those Ephesians and the believers that are in Ephesus and he's trying to say, do you realize that you are actually one unified church? Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? <clears throat> so can you give me some water? Um, so he says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Glad we don't distinguish on that anymore. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. To understand this, we need to understand that the Jewish people at the time were chosen and they were the chosen people. They were called to be the, the one people in the earth, the only country, the only nation that was built by God. 
the only nation that had the temple. The temple was the place where you could meet God. And then the temple was like blocked off, where only certain people could go in. And there was like a certain inner section for the Jews. There was an outer section for Gentiles because like actually all through the Bible, Gentiles were allowed to be part of the people of God. There was actually like there was two categories of it. There was sojourners and then there was foreigners. So some were like the people of God. Some were part of the people of God. But some of them didn't want to quite go all the way and become people of, the, of God. If you understand what that means. There's a circumcision and the uncircumcision. And some people were committed. Some people weren't like wholeheartedly committed. So it's like, I'm kind of in, but not all the way in. And so it's like some people, you like, actually, I want to be a people of, the God, people of God. I think it was easier for Ruth. She said, like, your people will be my people and my people will be your people. And it's like, that's an incredibly bold statement. You didn't hear that from a guy. Um, because they were eight years old generally when they got circumcised. And there's something about, like, actually, you wanted to be in. You wanted to be a part of the people of God. Because this was the only people that had access to God. Only people that could actually be in. And then there was a dividing wall that separated those that were in and those that were out. And it says here that Jesus broke down in his body the dividing wall. Literally, that wall is torn down. So we are one people. And even more so because there was a dividing wall that even kept the, the Jews from entering into the holy place. It's like actually he tore that curtain in two, tore everything down so that not only could the Gentiles get in where the Jews were, that we could all get in to the holy of holies. He says, actually, I brought you near. I wanted you to be where I am. I wanted you all to be there. And he's going over and over this. In Ephesians 1, he says, you have been given all of these spiritual blessings. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been called my people. You've been brought in. And then he says, for this reason, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would get this. I'm praying that you would actually believe this. Because if you get this, this will change your life. That actually your identity is not based on the fact that, ah, I'm a South African, I'm this, I'm reserved, I'm, like, I've got it all together. I work hard, that's why my life is like established. No, you are alive today because God said you can stay alive today. You're, you've been created and you are sustained because God said so. And then we actually get the privilege of responding to Him. This whole passage, it just talks about the people of God, talks about the practices of God and then the purpose of God. But I started praying, but actually, this is all talking about politics. It's like the one thing you're not supposed to talk about in church is politics. But actually, this is all talking about politics. Because if you don't know it, like politics actually comes from these words. It's like if you've got the common, commonwealth of Israel, it's actually the politeia. If you've got the fellow citizens, it's sympolitea. And it's like a polis is actually a city in Greek. And so the, the politeia, it's like, it's the, the polis, it's the people of the city. The people that belong to that city. And we are the people that belong to the city of God. And we need to figure out how to actually relate to politics. How, how do we, like politics is just basically us saying like, how do we work as a group of people together? 
And we've gotten this so like mixed up and confused and this side against that side because we don't see ourselves as one people anymore. We see ourselves as us people against those people. Whether it's us white people against black people or black people against white people or left versus right or right versus left or Christians versus the LGBTQ community or what. We celebrated a victory like protesting against Woolworths and then they backtracked. Is that a victory? I'm not sure. This might get controversial because some of you might be like in favor of it and the reasons you're in favor of it, I probably support you. But our battle is not against other people. Our battle is against like the spiritual powers that are behind it. And the problem is that if we fight our battles in a physical like aspect of you have to act in the way that I want you to act, is we end up actually breaking other people for the sake of our rights. And for the sake of the life that we want. Are there people that believe and act differently to us? Yes. They believe and act differently to what I believe the Bible commands. Yes. The problem is so do I. So do you. You know it. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of how we're supposed to live. But then there's some things sometimes where it's like our external actions are clearly contrary. And we're trying to celebrate that. And we, we, we get into conflict because we don't actually communicate a way to actually say, I, I want to love you. I want to make it very clear that I love you so much that what you're doing is maybe breaking you. And so because we don't know how to say that perfectly, we say, but I have to reject this. And then that rejection takes, comes as a rejection of all of me. And it's such a tough like, topic and everything is a tough topic to discuss at the moment. I was having a conversation with a guy the other day and he kind of asked me along these lines. He's like, what would you say about this? He thought he had me on like this tough topic that everybody has to agree on. And I said, the reality is we all disagree with each other. Because we all have our way of life of how it's supposed to be. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Everybody's allowed to have my truth. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going that far. Because if everybody has their own truth, then the, the only way we can have that is if we are all wrong. If you have your truth and I have my truth, we can both be wrong. But we can't both be right if there is a truth. But if there is a truth, one of us can be right and one of us can be wrong. But then the question is, that's almost not what determines how we relate to each other. The biggest question is, how do we treat those that differ from us? Because all around the world, everybody disagrees with everybody else. Everybody has their perspective. So everybody's got their way of doing it. And then there's people that are not living the way that we should. It's just like simple morality. The question is, what sets us apart for me as Christians is that we are gracious to those that disagree with us. Because we look at it and say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Their eyes haven't been enlightened yet. 
That's why we pray. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and understanding would be granted to them. And help me be a vessel of shining that. Is there time for us to stand up as citizens? Yes. But not as a Christian like army that we're going to fight against them with the ways of the world. We fight against them with the weapons of Christ, with the weapons of love. By saying, actually, we are going to show you a different way. We're going to show you a way that even though I disagree with you, I love you. Even though I disagree with what you may have done, I love you. I think we've seen an example of that in the like, American church where for a long time there was like major protests of being anti-abortion. Like, are we like against abortion? Absolutely. But sometimes there's a, that's not answering the problem. What do you do when somebody is pregnant? Are you going to be willing to actually walk a road with them and help them and care for them? And then you actually start setting up like institutions and organizations where it's like, you know what, we're going to put our resources behind helping and caring and loving like those mothers that have done things that like we don't necessarily agree with. And that's an example of how we actually display the Christ-like kingdom where we love those that we disagree with. Let me get back to the scripture. So it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision but what is, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Starts off by actually saying, that do you realize that you used to be aliens of the commonwealth? Aliens of the shared inheritance. Aliens of the covenant of promise. You were removed from it. And now you are included. All of the promises of the covenant are now yours. The promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. To the, the people of Israel. That actually I am the God that provides for you. I am the God that's going to care for you. I am the God that's going to look after you. I'm the God that's going to give you a hope and a future. And then... He ramps up that covenant because that covenant is not the Mosaic covenant anymore. It's actually a new covenant that's been made with Jesus in the, with his blood and his body that says that it is an everlasting covenant of peace with you. That's the covenant that he's made and he's included us in the people of God. So it's a covenant that you have been included in and this is who we are. Our identity gets shifted from people that used to be removed from God. The identity gets shifted from like, oh man, I'm a bad person that's trying to be good. That's why I go to church. Your identity becomes actually, I am one of God's chosen people. Sons and daughters of God. I get to live differently. I get to like, demonstrate something different to the world. Not because I have to, but because God has transformed me from the inside out. Yeah says but now so it starts off so it's almost like a fairy tale just this little portion it's like it starts off in verse 11 at one time you used to be and then in verse 11 but now in christ jesus you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ not you have been fixed not your situation has been fixed you have been brought near it's a relational term in a sense it's saying actually i want you near to me 
I want you to be close to me. I don't want you to be far off running away. I don't want you to be distant because of what you've done, what you thought, how you've acted, who you are, how your marriage is going, how your business is going. I want you to be near to me. God is saying, I just want you to be near to me. To empower, to be strengthened, to be my people. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So not only is like he, he ends that war, he ends that turmoil, he ends that restlessness in us. He actually wants us to give us peace. The whole tension of going into the Holy of Holies was had the high priest cleansed himself enough, gotten rid of and repented from enough of his sin so that he could walk into the Holy of Holies and not die. That was kind of success. It's like, woohoo, I went in and I did not die because I had to go make purification for all of the people's sins so that for one more year they could be okay. But we don't have a high priest like that. We have Jesus who went in and has made sacrifice and purified us for eternity because he did die. It's like our whole thing was the high priest would go in and hope not to die. To display actually he was okay. Jesus was the opposite. He was our perfect sacrifice that died for us. So that we can actually live. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law. By abolishing the law. The law is abolished. You don't need to go back to it. Like we love to say like, ah, I'm set free from the law. And then we bring it back in the back door of like, yeah, but the Ten Commandments, you better be good, hey? Like, just watch what you do. And it's, there's very fancy ways of doing it. It's like, wow, we, we set free from the ceremonial law, but we have to obey the moral of the law. And it's, I kind of agree with what those guys are trying to do. But the reality is we end up bringing in like, okay, yeah, I'm set free. But okay, what am I kind of supposed to do? I grew up in, in like church and it was principles, but godly principles. It's like we're completely set free from the law, but you have to live by godly principles. And all I heard was godly principles, godly principles, godly principles. Because I had to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. For me, God doesn't work like that. God comes in and says, I want to give you a new heart and a new mind so that your actions are transformed where you're not doing it for rule keeping's sake. That's where I understand. Like, is there a morality? Yes. But the morality is so much higher than any rules you can put in place because we are bound by the law of Christ. We are bound by the law of love. That's who we call to be now. You're not called to just follow the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is just too low. You are called to be a person that is empowered by love. That you are motivated by love. For the person that you see on the side of the road, to the person that's driving in the car next to you, to the person that you go meet at home, to the person that just is ridiculously mean to you at work, to the person that stabs you in the back at work. We are called to love them. To the person that lives the most immoral lifestyle you can think of. 
our war is not against that person. Our war is against the spiritual powers that empower that. Is there war going on? Absolutely. Are we supposed to fight it? Absolutely. How do we fight it? We fight it by praying, by modeling something different, by living the law of love. We, we, we fight the battle by actually doing what we're doing here today. By setting up a completely different kingdom. By participating in the church. We'll see. We'll get there. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access with the same spirit to the Father. On Father's Day, we've, we come and we, ha- we celebrate the fact that we actually have access to God, the Father. He chose to reveal Himself to us as a Father because a Father is a picture of strength, of provision. It's what it's supposed to be. It might not have always been that for you. You might have a terrible picture of a Father. You can still understand that God is a good father by the fact that the fact that you're disappointed by your father shows you know what a good father should be like. And that's what God, God the Father is like. Every place where you're actually upset that my dad never loved me like that. He never had time for me. He never encouraged me. He never had resources for me. He was always critical. I was never good enough. He was never supportive enough. All of those reasons can show you what God is actually like. Because He is the God who is always supportive. He always has the resources for you. He always has time for you. He is always supportive. He is always there. And every game, every success, every failure, He is always there. A father is the one who provides an environment where you can thrive. You've always seen it when it, like, kids are playing and the, the mom is like, wow, that's too dangerous. The dad's like, go for it, you can do it. <laughs> so you see all those memes. It's like, why? Why do dads like, I don't know. It's like, you, you think about like, how many injuries are going to happen when kids. But a dad is there to push kids, to show them what they're capable of. Can you jump off of that? Yes, you might break your arm, but it'll be worth it. It's like, it'll show you how far you can go. God the Father's like that. We sometimes, we don't want Him to be, but He is. Because sometimes it feels like, I, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, He's there, you can do it. He's like, can you help me? It's like, no, if I help you, then you haven't seen that you can do it. I want it to make it easy. It's like, no, but then you won't understand how strong you are. You won't understand what you've got inside of you. God knows what's inside of you. The tests are there to show you what's inside of you. God already knows who you are. God knows perfectly. He just wants to show you what you are capable of. And He's just saying, man, watch. Watch what you can do. Like, He's almost like, I can see Him in heaven. It's like, come look here, come look here. Look at what my boy's going to do. 
Look at what my daughter's going to do. Look at the courage that's there. You've got the story in Job where it's like, oh yeah, he only supports you, he only loves you because you're kind to him. It's like, no, no, no. The whole, the whole story is almost like, but watch what my boy is going to do. Even when I take this away. Even when I take that away. Even when I take this away, watch, he's still going to love me. Because I know what I've placed inside of you. Because I'm making you stronger and stronger and stronger. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens. with the saints and members of the household of God. You actually become fellow citizens. The time where citizenship at this time in the Roman Empire was a big deal. We've got it now where it's like, hey, I'm part South African, I'm part like British, and it's this, and it's... Like at that time, if you were a Roman citizen, you were set apart. Like you were something far greater than those other plebs, the slaves, the, the nothing. It's like you had status, you had recognition, you had access into the public facilities, you had access to like um, legal resources, you had everything. You were a part of the dominant power in the world. There's a time where in Acts 16 you see Paul like actually says that, where they've been put in prison and he says, oh no, actually you guys are free to go. He's like, no, 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 you guys arrested us, Roman citizens. You are going to come and set us free and you're going to make a public spectacle of it because this is who we are. And we have that now. You're not just anybody. You are citizens of heaven. Part of the household of God. It's like your lineage, your, your heritage, your citizenship, everything is now wrapped up in God. That's who we are. Our identity has been transformed. Our lineage has been transformed. Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's those that spoke for God, that wrote for God. Our lives get built on what God has given us. It's not just the Bible, like, this is actually the word of God, the message of God. And he wants to speak to you the truth of who he is, of what he is building in us. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We've tried to find many ways of finding unity in the church, of how we practice and what we do. The only way we're going to find unity is when all of our lives are built upon Christ. That's where we find perfect unity. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Picture is each and every one of us is a brick. And brick by brick, we're being built together into the holy temple. That actually together we become the dwelling place of God. The spirit of God. We become the place that everybody wanted to be. Like there's still pilgrimages to, 
to Jerusalem to try and go and be where the temple was, to go and see where it used to be. There's something about like us drawn to the place where God used to presence himself. They just don't know that actually we have the privilege of being there ourselves. Each and every one of you can actually be the dwelling place of God. Each and every one of you that believes in Jesus, that is carrying the Spirit, is the dwelling place of God. But then at the same time, we're being built together into a church. Whether it's Trinity Central or whether it's the global church, we're being built together brick by brick to display Christ to the world. We're supposed to be the answer to the conflict in the world. We're supposed to be the answer to the political divide, the, the answer to the tension that's there, the answer to the tension that's at work when everybody's divided and fighting and conflict. And it's like, actually, we're the people that can lay aside our preferences and our rights and what we think we are entitled to for the sake of winning over hearts and minds. They'll say, why is there a different hope inside of you? Why is there a different peace inside of you? Why is there something, like what is the reason for the hope inside of you? What is that reason? And it's actually when you've got an identity that's not built on your race or your success or your profile, what you've done right. Your identity is built on the grace of God. Graham had that the other day. I said to him, like, you've done so well. You've been faithful. And he's like, no, actually, man, I've struggled. And God's been kind to me. It's like, actually, I haven't been perfect. That's a man who understands the grace of God. And the reality is that's each and every one of us. There's no one that can say, like, yes, you know what? I got what I deserved. It's like, I've been good enough. Like, I deserve this life. The reality is, none of us deserve any of us. Yet God is so good and He's kind. And then when we build our lives upon the grace of God, He actually says, you know what? You're my boy. You're my daughter. This is what I'm going to give you. You become sons and daughters of God with an inheritance locked up in heaven where we actually become the answer to the world's challenges. We become the people whose identity is not shaped by what's happening in the country at the moment. Our identity is shaped by what God is doing in eternity, is what He's going to do with us. Our actions don't get shaped by how do we win the next political battle? How do we win the next bit of favor? How do we find, like, how do we win this battle so that I can have the better situation, so that I can get what I want, so I can get the country that I want? Our actions are motivated by the law of Christ. How do we love? How do we love? How do we love? Sometimes love actually comes with a challenge because actually we have to say, you know what, that's not right and I need to stand up to it. The best example of that for me is Martin Luther King who, who trained his people. They were following him. They were standing up. They were protesting for him. They said, you know what? We're not going to, like, um, we're not going to respond in kind. When we are challenged, when we are threatened, when we are attacked, we will respond with love. Because if we resort to, like, the political level of our opponents, 
then we actually just become like them. But if we respond in an opposite spirit, we can actually win them over because we're trying to win their hearts and their minds. We become the people that have a purpose. Our purpose is to shine the light of God, to be the dwelling place of God. And the verse just before what I read, actually what Quivers preached, is we are God's workmanship. That word is poema. It's, it's actually we are God's poem to the world. We as the church, we become God's message to the world. He is an artist crafting his church perfectly that it would be a love letter to the world. It is us that we need to respond. It's like it's, it's up to us to respond in kind, to, to be the people He has made us to be. Here we come. I think on like Father's Day specifically, men are wired to have a purpose. I think men and women are wired to have a purpose, but men specifically, we want, give us a job, give us something to do, give us like, okay, what, what, are the, what are the rules, what am I supposed to do, who am I supposed to be to display something to the world? And I want to say, you, you've been given a purpose, every man, every father, the reality, everyone here, you've been given a purpose to actually respond to God with your entire life whether it's your work, whether it's your finances, whether it's your family, whether it's your marriage, everything is being given and granted to you to display the goodness of God to the world. To declare His goodness. Like we were singing earlier. It's like actually we want to say, God, be lifted high. Be lifted high. On a Father's Day where some of you had great fathers, some of you had terrible fathers, we have a heavenly father who is sitting there watching. Look at my sons and daughters. Look at how they live. Look at what they're going to do this week. Look at who they're going to become. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in light of that. That you would help us to have our identities transformed by who you are. That you have made us one people, one citizen group. You have, we've previously been aliens and now we are fellow citizens that are part of the commonwealth of the people of God, those who wrestle with God. I thank you that you have given us a new way of living. Our actions are transformed. We have been set free from the law and we now get to live by the law of love. Completely transformed. Because our purpose is to glorify you, display your goodness. In Jesus' name.